Mr. Gorbachev. Drink this beer. Drink this beer. <laughs> All right. Well, my levels are up. Your levels are up. Uh, Let me adjust this. Song. You got a beer so you can get your blood alcohol levels up a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and we made it back to the raincoat report once again after missing a week. Yeah. What happened? Uh, our, our recording schedule got all fucked up and, uh, then I also forgot to put up a Patreon episode that I was going <laughs> to fill the week with, but that's okay. We've been giving away so many Patreon episodes. Yeah. We should, we got to tighten up. This was the first time that we've missed a week of putting an episode up though. I think Let's put an old one up and see if we get more listeners. <laughs> Uh, a lot of people listen to that Hot and Saucy Pizza Girls episode. I should have just put that back up again. They love that one. That's their favorite. Oh, yeah. It's our favorite, really. It is. We we were so happy we sang. We were. And that's, well, that's the only time you've sang. I've sang plenty since then. Yeah. I'm the more musically inclined of the two of us. <laughs> yes. Uh, for better or worse. Yes. But uh, we decided that. For one last time, even though we've crossed over into February. It was never uh, a month. I never had... The, the raincoat files begin and end uh, nebulously. Fair enough. Like this mole that I have found. <laughs> I think I'm going to have a doctor look at it. What do you think? Uh, raincoat audience, chime in. I don't know. I've got several moles like that, and maybe you should have a doctor look at it. I don't know. Okay. Well, that's a raincoat file I'll just have to put away for now. <laughs> yes, we'll investigate that later. But, uh, yeah, it's nebulous. The terrain is unknown. Uh, I murky. Do, I do want to say to our listeners who are worried, because we just crossed over into February, uh, Franco February is coming back at least for a week. Yeah. Uh, next week. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, again, we kind of had plans to watch this movie, Franco and then we... in February. Yes. Yeah. We had plans to watch this movie already, and then we kind of, you know, our schedules got fucked up, so we're doing it this week, and next week we'll look at Fe Franco February, and it might just be for a week, it might be for more, if, I don't know, we'll see. We'll feel no promises. It. We'll feel it out. Yeah, we'll fill it out and fill it up. Yeah. Uh, but this week, we are taking a look at uh, some political intrigue. Yeah, we sure are with 1970-somethings. Yeah, 1974's Deep Throat Part 2. All right. Directed by legendary softcore director and sometimes hardcore director Joe Sarno. Um, Joe Sarno is an interesting character, and he's somebody that I've thought about us watching a movie from before, but mm -hmm. I wanted to pick one of his good softcore sexploitation films to go for. Like this one? This one has things going for it. I would not say that it is his best work, but it is his work, that's for sure. Um, now, um, he's done some hardcore films as well. Um, Vinegar Syndrome released one of his films, A Touch of Genie. Um, on Blu-ray. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was a hardcore film. It's it's something that we'll get around to covering at some point. It's not incredibly plot-heavy. Sounds um, fantastical. But it is. It's got some cool stuff in it, and it's got a bunch of hairy reams. So it's got a big blue genie? It does not have a blue, big blue genie, unfortunately. I guess that really wasn't the style for genies until the early 90s. It's more of a I Dream of Genie. Okay. Type yeah, that situation. Was, it's not like a parody of I Dream of Genie, but that's probably more of the inspiration. Yeah, that was probably like the paradigm for genies at that point in the uh, public consciousness. It's more about a young, I believe, Jewish boy who's uh, who stumbles upon a genie in the antique shop that he works in. Oh, and yeah. uh, when he gets the wishes from the genie, he decides, oh, is it an I Dream of Genie Genie, or was it a... No, I think it was. You don't know what kind of genie and, it was. And uh, what he wanted was, as his wishes, was to inhabit the body of Harry Reams and uh, go through one of his epic love-making sessions. 
But then when he gets another wish, he basically wants the same thing. <laughs> and so the film kind of becomes kind of monotonous after a while. But there's some really funny stuff to it, and we'll cover it at some point. That's great. I love that he wanted to be Harry Reams twice. Yes. Uh, perhaps even three times. Wow. He couldn't get enough. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, it's it's interesting. But like he directed a couple of films. Uh, he, he did one called... Red Roses of Passion, which Vinegar Syndrome had a very limited release of that's now out of print. But it's uh, about, like, kind of a sexploitation... It's a sexploitation film about a cult uh, that's pretty cool. Um, He did one that I saw The Vinegar Syndrome also has an uh, out-of-print DVD... Or Blu-ray of uh, called All the Sins of Sodom. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. which was about, I think it was photographers and stuff. It's been a while since I've seen that. But uh, the Sounds company, biblical. the company Film Movement, put out a bunch of Blu-rays of his films. But from what I've heard, that uh, their releases are all cut versions of his films, mm-hmm. uh, including their Blu-ray release of Deep Throat Part Two. Um, the version that we're watching today uh, comes from a foreign DVD release of this. And from what I can tell, it is, I mean, it's like five minutes longer than the version that Film Movement put out. Uh, mm-hmm. So it seems to be, like, close to complete. Yeah. Uh, it's a little bit shorter than the runtime that we see online, but I also think it might be a uh, PAL release, meaning that it runs at 25 frames per second, which uh, n- noticeably means that it's like 4% faster than the film so it being a minute or two shorter makes sense that explains why i thought motion smoothing was on the entire time i watched this perhaps yeah (laughs) it was uh it just looked a little uncanny as like it went along like things were just moving a little too quickly right uh okay i'm glad that's what pal is that's terrible that's japanese No, uh, that is European. I hate the them. Japanese use NTSC like North America does, which that's uh, why we have a valuable trading partnership with them. Yes. So uh, <laughs> the short version is PAL TVs ran. ran PAL TVs ran at <laughs> they ran at fifty frames per second, whereas American and uh, Japanese TVs, the NTSC standard, ran at sixty frames per second. Oh yeah. And what happened was for the uh, North America and Japanese market, films that ran at 24 frames per second were uh, released as interlaced video in 60 frames per second containers through a process called 3x2 pull-down, which basically would show one frame for three frames uh, and... Well, one frame for three refreshes of the screen and the next frame for two refreshes of the screen, which can give film in NTSC a slightly juddery appearance, ever so slightly. But in the European areas, at running at 50 frames per second, they instead decided to take the 24 frames per second stuff and do a 2-2 pull-down, which means each of the frames shows on screen twice, and it actually runs at 25 frames per second. So... Nowadays, uh, TVs basically worldwide will support 60 frames per second. And we conquered uh, the market. Foreign releases of movies run at flat 24 frames per second. And like Blu rays in America run at 24 frames per second without any weird pull down. Jack them up. Jack them up and jack them off. Anyway. Yeah. I'm going to do, I'm going to pull your pants down. For the longest time. Yeah. What I'm getting at is for the longest time in Europe, movies on home video ran faster than they should have. And if they were done correctly, the audio didn't end up higher pitched. Uh, but if they were not done in if they were done incorrectly, which happened quite a bit, the audio would be higher pitched than it was supposed to be. Not by like a huge amount, because the speed up's only a little bit. Right. But it was noticeably different. Anyway, that's my long tangent about PAL versus NTSC. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm glad that we won the format war. Oh, also, because of that, uh, things like Sonic the Hedgehog ran slower in Europe. 
because they ran it 50 instead of 60 and didn't like retool the logic to account for it. Gotta go slower. Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, all of that's to say that that's this all re- just uh, it's all just extra EU regulations slowing down Sonic and <laughs> making sure he doesn't have freedom of movement. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's fucked up. They want to put Sonic in a 15-minute city so he can't go anywhere. But at the same time, they still let the Autobahn run. Well, yeah, that's Germany. They're in the EU. Yeah. They were also a PAL country. Hmm. Anyhow. I don't know about the EU. I think I made it up. Deep Throat Part 2, you would think, would be a continuation of Linda Lovelace's... uh, efforts to gain sexual pleasure by deep-throating cock and stimulating the clitoris in the back of her throat. Instead, we get something that is not a continuation of that in the slightest, uh, but it does feature Linda Lovelace and Harry Reams, but yeah. they're in different roles. Harry Reams is still a doctor. He's a different doctor. He's a different type of doctor. He's more of a... Uh, paul thomas type of doctor this time he's a psychiatrist or something like it yes i think theoretically he's a therapist but uh all he seems to do is have sex with people as does his nurse nurse lovelace uh Uh, yes but in the meantime the cold war is a brewing and we have a bunch of american agents uh led by agent jamie gillis (laughs) and a bunch of russian agents uh, led primarily by Chris Jordan, who plays Toroskova, mm-hmm. uh, the femme fatale of the Russian agents. And uh, everybody's trying to s- uh, get more information about or sabotage Oscar, a supercomputer. Yes. And uh, beyond that, a million things happen. Yeah. And... Uh, much like the end of the Coen Brothers film, Burn After Reading, once it's all done, it's like, wait, did anything that actually happened here matter? And the answer is no, not really. Well, we don't know that yet. Well, we'll see. I um, mean, there are some changes that happen by the end of the film, and we'll get into that. There is some uh, love found, I believe, so I it's think, not all in waste, I guess. I think uh, in the raincoat file spirit, you got to dig deeper. Okay. Well, as we talk through the film, I'm gonna we'll think down. about it, and then by the end, we'll have our our big, our our big I'm deep big, digging and deep dicking. We're gonna have a huge hole that we've built for ourselves. <laughs> a hole for ourselves. Yeah, a hole of their own. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess that's as much of an intro as we really need to give. Uh, we do have an appearance. I'll add by uh, disco legend Andrea True. Does uh, she show up? She is, uh, yes, she is, I can't remember her name. Her uh, character's name is the Whacker Attacker. Yes, she is the one who uh, is trying to, on behalf of Kenneth Whacker, get information from uh, the scientist Dilbert Lamb. Okay. She's when the she... one who seemingly falls in love with him, okay. or attempts to. Okay, okay. The, the title of Whacker Attacker made me think that it was someone who tried to assassinate uh, Mr. Wacker. Yeah, I don't know but, why uh, she's called that, but I, I just kind of took a moment and like looked at her picture, and I was like, oh yeah, that's her. Yeah. And was like, I don't understand why she's credited as Wacker Attacker. You'd be good at being like an AI. You're really good at recognizing <laughs> stuff and matching them up. All right, well, let's just take a break, and then we'll be back to dig into the sordid details of Deep Throat Part 2. Everything out of any man. 
I try. I wish to know more about your technique. Now, Dilbert is, of course, uh, one of America's most loved cartoon characters created by the incredibly intelligent and not a dickhead Scott Adams. Yeah. Um, Dilbert. You ever read Dilbert? Did you read much Dilbert? I read a bit when I was like you a Dil- young teen or... you any Dilbert books? No, it was never something I liked enough to like buy a book. I think I might have had a book. The know. only like comic strips that I ever had books of I think were like Calvin and Hobbes. That's wise. Now, what I've done is... Uh, where was I? <laughs> uh, I, I owned a Calvin and Hobbes book and not Dilbert. You didn't own Dilbert, but Dilbert is a, you're right, he's one of America's most beloved cartoon characters, and uh, he was voiced by Daniel Stern in the cartoon. Oh, yeah. I think that's where I was trying to get to. The cartoon isn't great, but it had a pretty stacked voice cast. I think uh, Jason Alexander might have been there. Oh, yeah. Uh they had Wally. You remember Wally? Is Dilbert's friend? He's Vaguely. always slacking off. I like Wally. Okay, yeah. I, I could get behind him. The strip really should have been more about Wally than about Dilbert. I don't think the things that happened to Scott Adams would have happened <laughs> necessarily the same way if he had focused the strip around uh, the Wally character. Yeah, Scott Adams is one of those people that like you can you can rely on him like a clock to tweet the dumbest shit you've ever read yeah he's psychotic and he believes in some form of like thought magic and making his thoughts real (laughs) and he has a dilbert shaped tower that he lives in (laughs) that's real oh yeah yeah look it up (laughs) you look up dill tower okay where is it no don't you cannot know my location (laughs) Look up Dilbert House. There you go. Yep. He has a normal house, and then outside of that house, there is a tower shaped like Dilbert's head. Oh, wow. Yeah. What do you oh, think of that? Oh, wow. Do you think he'll end his life in the Dilbert Tower? I hope so. I hope he jumps from atop Dilbert Tower and lands on his head. I think that's probably likely to happen. Well... Scott Adams really isn't related to this at all, except that their character, or their main characters, share the same name. Now, according to Dilbert legend, Scott Adams was drawing this strip like while he was working at a bank, uh-huh. and uh, he didn't have a name for the character, and he's like, oh, let's have a name the character contest, and his boss came up with the name Dilbert. And uh, I think it's probably because he saw this movie. <laughs> okay, that's probably it, yeah. yeah. This one stuck with him. Anyhow, Deep Throat Part 2 opens on an alarm clock ringing, and we see Nurse Lovelace, played by Linda Lovelace, uh, reach over and turn off the clock as a groovy song begins to play. She sits up and shows off her breasts and then stands up to show off her body. She stretches, and uh, we see that her home is of oriental styling. Yeah, she's got a lot of beautiful silk silk screens that she poses between. Yes, there's a small Buddha statue there, and like there's a bunch of dragon sketches on the silk screens that she's got. From her getting up and we, us getting some credits, we then cut to Jamie Gillis pounding his fists on a desk. He says it's a Mayday situation, but those knuckleheads won't wake up to it. He points to a chair and asks, where's double zero four seven? So there is an agent missing from his meeting. So I was like, oh, okay, is Linda Lovelace the agent? But she is, in fact, not. Yeah, I thought she was, too, at first. We cut to Nurse Lovelace walking around a park in her jacket as various creeps peek out at her from behind the trees. We would later learn that these are agents, both of the Russian and American, uh, I guess, secret agent coalitions. The CIA and the... Uh, the intelligence KGB or whatever. Yeah. yeah, they're being followed by a shadowy third figure. 
Uh, we get a new Deep Throat theme. It's kind of like a, a James Bond opening credit song. Yeah, I do like this. This is nice. Um, yeah, I would say this film does uh, have a pretty decent soundtrack. I don't know that I love it as much as the original Deep Throat soundtrack, but it's solid as yeah. far as an adult film's concerned. I feel like maybe one or two of the songs might be lifted from the original as well. Yeah. Um, but yes, continue. So these people continue to trail her. Uh, and Nurse Lovelace makes her way to a building, and the guys following her stop and comment on her ass. We then see a man park his car and make his way into the room with Jamie Gillis. He introduces himself as 0047 and says that he has the information Gillis has asked for. He says, thanks, and drones on about freedom and the American way. He's right. So... None of the American agents are named, um, so I'm just referring to Jamie Gillis's character as Agent Gillis, uh, and I guess like this agent has like a, uh, I guess they do have code numbers or whatever. Yeah, like this was double zero four seven. But honestly, nothing that they do individually is that important. Yeah, uh, really, just Agent Gillis here with his tirades about America and freedom are the things that stand out in their conversations. Mm-hmm. We then cut to a junkyard where a car is being hoisted by a crane and we see the Russian agents meeting and uh, they one of the guys finds out that he's going to be working with Toroskova and he's very proud about this. So the guys meet up with Toroskova. Again, this is uh, Chris Jordan playing this role. And uh, they sneak off to a room to talk, but before going in, the men warn her that everything they say is under surveillance, so to be sure to talk in an Italian accent. Back with the American agents, Agent Gillis is explaining that things are turning red as a baboon's ass. He goes on to explain Oscar, a supercomputer, that they can feed information to. Uh, They want more information about it, and I guess to get the plans for Oscar, because it's a big development, and they want to be able to control that sort of information. Right, yeah, it's, I guess, being developed independently of, yeah, the agency. Yeah, this is one of those things that I didn't really understand what was going on as they were introducing this information, but I kind of pieced it together as it was going on. Yeah, Um, but the true spy thriller tradition, you know, (laughs) there's always one step ahead of you. So, Agent Gillis then shows a picture of the person working on Oscar, the head scientist. This is Dilbert Lamb. So, uh, Dilbert Lamb is played by Levi Richards. They talk about how they've kind of done research on him, and he has a clean record and seems very normal. Um, But then we cut to Nurse Lovelace reading Dilbert Lamb's private fantasies from a file. Uh, apparently this was recorded while he was on psychiatric drugs. She reads aloud something about a woman resisting him and him throwing her down on the floor. Nurse Lovelace is then intercepted by Dr. Jason, played by Harry Reams. Yes. Who at first scolds her for reading this file, but himself starts to read it and get aroused. Dr. Jason and Lovelace caress one another and then sink to the floor to do their dirty work. Yes. So we see the supercomputer Oscar um, and Dilbert Lamb. Yes, it does have like a big face made of lights. Yeah. Um, Dilbert, the scientist working on it, has made it now so that Oscar can talk. He immediately tells Oscar not to talk when they're not alone with each other. He doesn't want the uh, newfound abilities of oscar to be known by others we then cut back to nurse lovelace and jason they stand up and immediately are face to face with jason's fiance bonnie smiley bonnie is played by tina russell somebody that we've seen many times before Mm -hmm. she talks about them being in love and being true to one another so you think that oh he's been caught now but jason says Well, now that we all know each other a bit better, he gestures to another room with his eyes before walking away with both women. We cut to two scientists working on Oscar, one Dilbert, one the other scientist, but they're talking about how it's almost human now. 
We then see an alarm go off, and Dr. Jason and the two ladies stand up from their sex session that happened off screen. Yeah. Jason notes that Dilbert Lamb will be there in 10 minutes for his appointment. I really didn't realize this was softcore going in, and I was like, they're being really restrained. Yeah. (laughs) So we get a fast motion scene of them all redressing, and as Dilbert shows up, Nurse Lovelace is helping Jason still redress. Uh, Dr. Jason greets Dilbert and informs him that tonight, Nurse Lovelace has agreed to help with a session of play therapy, where they'll act out some of his fantasies. Mm, yes. Dilbert is quite taken back by this and seems like he wants to leave at first, but Dr. Jason pushes him towards Lovelace and leaves the room. We see Dr. Jason and Bonnie, his fiance, watching Dilbert and Lovelace from another room. It looks like there's like a projector screen there, but it's supposed to be like a one-way mirror. Yeah, it's um, classic pervert technology. Yes. Lovelace begins role-playing as a lingerie model uh, who's uh, showing off some black lace panties, something that Dilbert mentioned in his private fantasies that she was reading. She has Dilbert touch her stockings and uh, the lace panties and then starts requesting that he rape her. Uh, Jason and Body watch and uh, are snacking from a bowl. (laughs) As Lovelace is fondling Dilbert, he seems to get too excited and finish in his pants. Dilbert says he has to go, and Lovelace tells him that he can't because he hasn't raped her yet. (laughs) Dilbert storms out, and Nurse Lovelace calls out to Jason. He tells her to join him in the other room. Uh, We then see Dilbert arrive home where he stopped by his aunt. Yes, I thought this was a woman in the lobby because the transition was sloppy, but yeah. Yes, it wasn't until later when I realized this was his aunt that it made more sense. And she's seductively eating Milano cookies. Yes, uh, she just yeah she uses uh, quite suggestive gestures with the cookies and then puts one in Dilbert's mouth seductively, mm-hmm. which uh, seems to interest Dilbert at first. But he leaves, noting that he has to change his trousers. Um, back at Oscar, the supercomputer. Agent 0047 shows up and starts to ask the other scientist who works here, who works there, some questions. 0047 wants the schematics to Oscar, um, but the scientist hands them over, adding that they're useless right now because Dilbert Lamb changed all the circuits. 0047 asks why, and the other scientist explains that Oscar was dumb before, but now it's smart, like a human. But the new schematics only exist in Dilbert's head. He's supposed to put it on paper eventually, but he hasn't yet. That's, that's how you do it. I could probably keep all the plans for like a supercomputer circuits in my head. Yeah, probably. You seem like the type to do that. I could compartmentalize them. I can rotate a circuit board in my head. <laughs> when I close my eyes, how do you want me to rotate it? Uh, 90 degrees clockwise. Oh, I broke it. Fuck. <laughs> uh, so Agent Gillis finds this lack of schematics very troubling. And after some chatter, Agent Gillis assures the room that they're going to get these drawings from Mr. Lamb. We watch some Russian agents making out in the junkyard, and then we see the Russian agents watching some American agents outside the office of Lovelace and Jason. I don't think Russian spies had to usually hang out in the junkyard. Uh... They would probably just chill out at, like, the Russian embassy or any number of, like, safe houses. Perhaps, but, you know. Maybe this junkyard's a safe house. I mean, nobody would expect them to be meeting in a junkyard. I guess that's true. In the office, Lovelace is working with Dilbert again. She tells him to relax and suggests that they play doctor. He listens to her heart and we hear some rhythmic drumming. (laughs) Uh, the agents outside are arguing about who's going to go into this office first, and inside, Lovelace tells Dilbert to lay back on the couch, and he says he's going to lay down, but in his own private room, so he leaves and runs out. Nurse Lovelace is sad, noting that he makes her feel inferior. She starts to cry and says that she needs her th- psychiatrist, so then Dr. Jason pops out of his room. Yeah, he's got a whole like loopy theme as he comes bumbling out with his pants around his ankles. Yes. Lovelace explains that Lamb left and made her feel inadequate. Jason tells her that he has the cure to feelings of inadequacy in females, 
they begin to make out. The American agents come in demanding to Bonnie, who's working the desk, that they need to see Dr. Jason and Nurse Lovelace. Uh, they assure her that they're a normal American couple. Bonnie calls the doctor, who hobbles out of the exam room, pulling up his pants. The doctor is excited to see the agents. The female agent notes the huge bulge in his pants. The doctor says he'll go get his pad and pen to take some notes, pinching the female agent's ass as he walks by. The agents are impressed by Lovelace and feel that they could use her on their team. They tell the doctor that they'd like to meet with Nurse Lovelace before beginning any therapy and uh, be shown the room that they'll be practicing in. Outside, the Russian agents are flipping a coin to figure out who will follow the American agents in. The agents meet with Nurse Lovelace in an exam room alone and ask her some questions about making sacrifices for her country. She says she'd do anything for her country, and they tell her that she's being called upon by her country. They give her an address and tell her to be there by 10 o'clock tomorrow. The agents walk out, and as they're leaving, Lovelace yells out asking if she's been drafted and adding that she has asthma and needs new reading glasses. I feel you, girl. Dr. Jason is manic as the American agents are leaving, being sure to pinch the lady's ass on the way out. Yeah, he's unrestrained. He's more of a Paul Thomas psychiatrist than most Paul Thomas psychiatrists. Yes. He then walks into the exam room and asks for a... Sorry. (laughs) He uh, walks into the exam room and asks for a word with Lovelace, immediately grabbing her and making out with her. We then see Toroskova, the female Russian agent, make her way into the office. Dr. Jason's immediate reaction is to wrap his arms around her and offer her a private, intimate session. She's forgotten to do an Italian accent. Yes, she has. Because she asked Dr. Jason about Comrade Nurse Lovelace, adding that she's heard that she can work wonders. Dr. Jason says that she can meet her after their private session, but the agent is insistent, and Dr. Jason points her to the room that Nurse Lovelace is in. As Tereskova walks in, she places what appears to be a button-sized bug or listening device in the room Mm -hmm. before approaching Nurse Lovelace. I believe the other American agents also placed one. I didn't catch it when they did. Yeah, they're double-bugging them. So yeah, both the American agents and the Russian agents have a bug in uh, the room that Nurse Lovelace is practicing in. So uh, Tereskova tells Lovelace she heard that she could get anything out of a man. Torskova wants to know more of Nurse Lovelace's techniques. She says that she's worked with a male patient acting out fantasies. Torskova asked if she'd do the same with a woman, hoping she wouldn't discriminate. Lovelace notes that Dr. Jason usually works with the women. As Torskova walks out of Lovelace's room, Dr. Jason stops her and demands that he examine her. She tries to brush past him, but he insists, so she follows him into a room. He says that he wants her to disrobe, and she's a bit annoyed, but starts to do it. She stops to threaten him with a gun, though, before tossing aside her dress. Yeah, and calls him a counter-revolutionary and a revisionist and all kinds (laughs) of things. Dr. Jason gets his nuts squeezed before running out of the room and having Lovelace put some ice in a beaker that he pours into his pants for relief. Yeah, he's got the stonies, you know? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of bad. He can't get nothing with this lady. Nurse Lovelace asks if Toroskova has a nice body. He says he doesn't want to think about her, adding that this is a cooling-off period. Nurse Lovelace notes that she hasn't seen him this horny before, adding that he was just laid last night, and Jason says last night was a long time ago. So Dr. Jason re-enters the room with Toroskova, and she finishes undressing. She warns him that she's a master of karate, and to never come on her from behind... Always let her know when he's coming. Yeah. Yeah, that's polite. (laughs) You know, it's good etiquette. Lovelace interrupts just as they're getting started and wants to tell uh, Dr. Jason about the couple they met with earlier, but he basically chases her off. Jason then shuts the door and goes back to grab a hold of Toroskova from behind, but he has not heeded her warning about coming on her from behind and gets clobbered in the nuts due to him surprising her. He crumples to the floor and moans. There goes the teacher. 
So we cut to Nurse Lovelace being escorted by people in uniform, and then a shot of a newspaper with the headline, Nixon will not give up Oscar tapes, Congress defiant. Yeah, we're going to get those tapes. We're going to figure <laughs> this situation out. Uh, Agent Gillis is talking about how Oscar is the nerve center of the defense of the free world. And as he's yammering, he's interrupted by a soldier telling him that Nurse Lovelace is here. Kind of like that in the World of Deep Throat Part 2, that like this is like what kicks off like Watergate. Yeah. <laughs> is this stupid uh, computer with like a dick antenna. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so Agent Gillis gives Nurse Lovelace a rousing political patriotic speech and tells her that she's now part of the organization and she's Agent 0069. Nice. They swear her in. We then see the Russian agents chatting about the doctor and nurse. Toroskova notes it was obvious the doctor was attracted to her quite a bit. Uh, we see Lovelace meeting with Oscar. <laughs> I guess Don't taken let, there by the other agents. I wouldn't let Nurse Linda near the super machine, to be honest. No, I wouldn't either. Not if I wanted it to work. But Oscar then replies, hey, you turned me on, baby. Yep, and here it comes. Uh, Oscar tells Lovelace that Dilbert told him about her. And Oscar talks about knowing details about almost everyone and being able to work out embarrassing details about anybody that he doesn't know about. Yeah. So uh, can he lie or is he just kind of like able to like use like enough of like a psychological profile to figure it out? I don't know. Okay. It's not It's not clear. Yeah. I could see it being a mixture of both. They've invented the machine that can lie. That's it for us. <laughs> we cut to Dr. Jason, Bonnie, and Lovelace redressing after some sex session that we didn't see begin. With Dr. Jason telling Lovelace about how Dilbert Lamb wants to have sex with his aunt and that he has an idea. So we see Dilbert's aunt telling him that a woman visited her earlier selling black lace underwear. And we get a cutaway to Lovelace uh, dressing up as Dilbert's aunt in a mirror with Dr. Jason. They say that they can take Dilbert Lamb's glasses away from him and he won't be able to tell the difference between her and his aunt. So we then see Dilbert arrive at the office and Bonnie takes off Dilbert's glasses and says that they're dirty. So when Dilbert walks into the exam room, Nurse Lovelace is dressed as his aunt, and he believes that it's her. He then marvels at her black lace panties. Ah. Dilbert starts rambling about listening devices and cameras, and she asks him if he's going to rape her, and he mumbles about incest and collapses. We cut to Dilbert waking up, getting his glasses back, and Lovelace admitting that it was her and not his aunt all along. He rambles about how he's going to lose his security clearance. We then see Agent Gillis talking about Kenneth Wacker, who apparently is against the Oscar project, and then we see him talking to a group about finding a weakness in Oscar and exploiting it. Yeah, I guess they're like a revolutionary group or yeah, something. some kind of concerned citizens group. They seem to be meeting in like the offices of maybe like a magazine or a newspaper. Yeah, that's what it looks like. They talk about, like, freedom of speech and stuff like that. Yeah, there's like a that. conspiracy against the First Amendment. So, uh, Ken Wacker is played by David Davidson. So, we see a woman that Ken is talking to, who we would later learn is named Penny, played by Andrea True. She's talking, then, to Dilbert at a restaurant as we cut away. It seems that she's trying to exploit him to stop Oscar. Then we see the Russians talking about needing to get to Dilbert Lamb. Uh, and both the Russians and Americans, as uh, we mentioned earlier, have bugged Lovelace's exam room. And we see them both sitting around and listening to the sex sounds coming out of the room. These convince Agent Gillis that Lovelace can get the information they want from Dilbert. Kenneth is talking about Oscar being a conspiracy to infringe on the public's First Amendment rights. I told you. Penny shows up and tells Ken that she's made a major breakthrough in regards to what he's been talking about. And you know, on this episode, we're talking about a conspiracy against First Amendment rights. 
And I do believe on one of our recent Patreon episodes, we unfolded the conspiracy against our Second Amendment rights. <laughs> um, so for five bucks a month, you can unravel that and uh, you can help protect our Constitution as well at uh, patreon.com slash raincoat report. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes. Uh, Ken tells her that he'll talk to her about it later and he kind of dismisses her. So uh, Ken was talking to another man and... Uh, he asks if Ken is having sex with the women here, uh, but Ken assures him that he never has sex. The man suggests that he should see a psychiatrist then, and he knows just the one. But Ken dismisses seeing a therapist due to the stigma around it. But, sure enough, we see Ken show up at Dr. Jason's office wearing a big nose as a disguise, a, yeah. a prosthetic. Yes, he's disguised himself as a... Uh bradley cooper playing oh that fucking uh it's like leonard bernstein or whatever they made that movie for netflix and he's because he's jewish he's like i'm gonna wear a fake nose (laughs) so that's what we've got here uh i don't know but uh his friend that he was talking to is speaking on his behalf noting that he's never been laid so dr jason pulls ken aside and suggests that he should just get plastic surgery pointing out his beak. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, He finally agrees to set up an appointment with Nurse Lovelace tomorrow. So, uh, of course, this fake nose is very fake, and nobody would really take it seriously in real life, but this is the world of Deep Throat, too, so... It really works on Linda. So, uh, we see Dr. Jason explaining to Nurse Lovelace the importance of helping this patient. Uh, Mr. Hecker is his fake name that he's given. Uh, He needs to get over his inferiority complex. So after Dr. Jason leaves the room, uh, Wacker walks in, not wearing his nose at first. Lovelace knows that he's not what she expected. She sits down next to him and asks about his life, and he talks about women pampering him all his life, and he goes on about how he likes to help the helpless and exploited, and eventually leaves before receiving any of Nurse Lovelace's therapy. We see Dilbert Lamb and Penny meeting, and Penny suggests that they get a hotel room and make it. Dilbert's stuttering and confused and decides to leave, leaving Penny frustrated. We see Dilbert walking through the park, and Toroskova sees him and stalks him for a moment before we see him run off. Just as he turns around to see if she's behind him, he bumps into Toroskova in front of him, who asks for a light. She then invites him to her bed. He runs off and then bumps into her in front of him again. She invites him to her place tonight or else. We cut to Nurse Lovelace's exam room. Dilbert runs in saying that he had to see her. He tells her he's confused because girls never look at him, but today three women made lewd advances to him. He asks what to do, and she suggests that he keeps a tight schedule and uh, leave room for her at that. She starts to make a move on Dilbert when a man in uniform walks in and delivers an envelope to Lovelace. She pulls aside, um, telling the camera that it's questions she's supposed to ask for Dilbert. Yeah. She climbs on top of Dilbert, and uh, she starts to fuck him. And as she does, she starts to ask him questions. The American agents all listen intently and snack, uh, but of course the Russian agents are also listening in. One of the questions he's asked is if he's given any information about Oscar to anyone connected to Kenneth Wacker. He asks who's connected to Wacker, and she lists a bunch of names, including Penny Graham. He recognizes Penny's name, and when asked if he gave her information, he waffles between saying no and yes. As they finish, there is applause from the Russian agents. As Dilbert and Lovelace redress, Lovelace tells Dilbert he's cured and won't need to come back. Dilbert suggests perhaps he could come back, and Lovelace says that'd be great. Aww. The Russians discuss what they heard, noting that this Oscar is so important that the Americans sent their best torturer to get information on it, referring to Nurse Lovelace. Mm-hmm. They decide that they need to speak with this lamb and his tormentor, Lovelace. They ask who could be a match for Lovelace, and the guys all look over to Toroskova. Ah, yes. 
So we see Toroskova. Of the sexes. Yes. So we see Toroskova arrive at Nurse Lovelace's uh, Asian-styled abode, brandishing a knife and holding it up to her neck in bed. She threatens to cut Lovelace's throat deep. Yes. (laughs) Excellent. We had the line. She asks for Lovelace's secret, and Lovelace says that it's just her secret butterfly stroke. Toroskova is confused by this, and Lovelace tells her to hold out her hands, and she begins to caress and massage Toroskova's hands. And this, I guess, is her butterfly stroke. Yeah, it's her secret weapon. It's uh, like a deep tissue massage. We cut to the American agents. Agent Gillis says that he's going to keep a close eye on Lovelace. We cut back to Lovelace stroking Toroskova's hands. Lovelace tells her to undress so they can enjoy it. Agent Gillis uh, tells the other agents that he's going on assignment and shows him this month's disguise, which he pulls from a nearby tiny locker. So it's all a bunch of like red striped suits. Yeah, it's and, kind uh, of like a barbershop quartet. Yes, that's a outfits. good description. Yeah. It's got like a wicker hat with stripes on it, too. Yeah, we all love those hats. Toroskova says that now that she's mastered Lovelace's butterfly stroke, she can manipulate any man. We then cut to the therapy office, and all of the American agents show up in their striped disguises wanting appointments with Nurse Lovelace. So Bonnie sends Lovelace into an exam room with one of them as the rest wait. Dr. Jason looks at the waiting agents. He's excited that everyone wants to see Lovelace as it's good for business. Then he notices one of the guys here has tits. Yeah. yeah. He tells Bonnie to send that guy wow, in to see him. Tits. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there you go. He tells Bonnie to send that guy in to see him, adding that he'll see any guy with tits. Yeah, any guy with tits around here sees me. So, uh, I guess he'd see me. Yeah, he'd so see both of us. <laughs> so, uh, we see the female American agent in disguise walk into Dr. Jason's office. He turns around, naked, sitting in his office chair. She asks if he's always sitting naked in his office, and Dr. Jason responds, Only when my clothes are off. He asks if she's going to try to do anything perverted to him. She points to his crotch, noting that it's growing fast. He tells her it does that from time to time and grabs a hold of her. She yells out that he's trying to rape her. We cut to the waiting room, and Nurse Lovelace leads the other two guys waiting back to the exam room, adding that Bonnie can join them. Dr. Jason is undressing the now seemingly passed out female agent, noting how beautiful she is despite her mustache. Yeah, she's kind of a, like presented as like prudish and like faints away like anytime sex comes up. Yeah. Yeah. We see Dilbert Lamb joined by Penny, who tells him that she wants him to have sex with her. Dilbert says that he knows she works with Wacker and uh, that she's working against his machine. Penny says that she wishes she could have told him, but despite her not agreeing with what he's doing, she still wants to go to bed with him. And she'll defend to the death his right to do it, which is a stupid thing to say if you're trying to destroy his, like, machine. Yeah. Uh, Because, like, it's just a dumb thing to say in general. Dilbert and Penny walk off together. I'm not going to defend your right to say shit. Or defend your right to make a big evil computer. I think your right should be taken away. (laughs) We cut back to Lovelace in her exam room, saying to herself that she doesn't know if she can keep this up anymore, adding that she's too involved with her patients. Ken Wacker then walks into the room and asks if she has time for him. Lovelace tells him that she always has time for him. He goes on about his obsession with freedom and how freedom is in danger in this computer age. Lovelace says she agrees, and that's why she's helping the government try to get the plans to a computer by Dilbert Lamb. Ken asks, you mean, off- you mean Oscar? And Lovelace says, how did you know? Ken asks for Lovelace's help and then says that he'll put a tool in her hand, and she says he can put his tool in her hand or anywhere else he wants. <laughs> We cut to Dilbert and Penny in bed naked. Dilbert confesses to Penny that he sabotaged Oscar before he left today. He didn't destroy it, but he made it less effective because he realizes the potential danger. He adds that he may get thousands of years in prison for it. 
Lovelace is on the phone with the government, and then we see the Russians circling Dilbert. We then cut to Wacker approaching Lovelace on the street, revealing his true identity as Kenneth Wacker, as she still thought he was Mr. Hacker. Right. Uh, when she realizes who he is, she says that she heard that he sabotaged the whole security system for the country. And Wacker says he didn't do that. We see the American agents start chasing Wacker, while the Russian agents are running off with Dilbert's plans. Lovelace and Wacker run through a wooded area pursued by American agents. They put on roller skates to get some extra distance between them and the agents. Why? Uh... (laughs) We see the Russian agents hiding out in the junkyard, running behind uh, some American agents' backs. We spend quite a while with the Americans chasing the Russians in the junkyard, and the other American agents chasing Lovelace and Wacker. Uh, As the Russians unroll the poster board with the plans to Oscar, one of the American agents hides in a car, which as he's peeking out the window... Gets picked up by a crane and crushed into a cube. Yeah. And he's dead. Agent Gillis then finds the agent crushed in a cube, who is miraculously freed with a blowtorch. Oh, good. And uh, perfectly fine. Oh, all right. Good. (laughs) The Russians take off in a car, chased by an American agent peddling an ice cream cart. The American agents can't keep up with Lovelace and Wacker on their skates, so they commandeer a dog sled. As Wacker babbles on about the Constitution, he and Lovelace get hot dogs. She tells him to tell her about it at her place. Just as that's happening, the Russian's car is swerving around the road uh, on the verge of breaking down and gets wedged against another truck, a baker's truck. And Lovelace, Wacker, and a bunch of agents all converge on the same spot. Yeah. Followed by the agents. Short, wacky races, kind of sidebar. Yes, followed by the agents in the dog sled, followed by some agents on a horse carriage. Yes. Uh, The man in the bakery truck that the Russian's car got wedged against, uh, he uh, gets out of his car and starts to talk to the Russian agents and ends up getting whacked by the plans that one of the agents is holding. So the baker starts throwing pies at them. Yes. Uh, The American agents finally... The rest of the American agents finally arrive at the scene, and everybody ends up getting covered in pie. Everything just breaks down completely. Uh, all the audio is of... It starts kind of like as of laughter, and then is animal noises. Yes. Uh, Penny, who is there getting a hot dog, starts laughing, and we hear a chicken clucking yes. and crowing. And there's a lot of laughter dubbed with these sound effects as the cast all throws pies at one another. Yeah. Lovelace, Wacker, and Wacker's friend from earlier are all talking on the street. I think they, the people that wrote this, they were all on psychiatric drugs, you know? Probably. Wacker says that all he got for this incident was a $15 fine for littering. His friend notes that he didn't break the law after all, and in fact, the Russians don't have any charges against them because they stole worthless plans, which I don't think is how espionage works, but okay. Yeah. Uh, Dilbert also says that they have no case against him, uh, though they lost their standing in the scientific community. But we see Dilbert and the other scientists uh, standing there in front of a computer, and Penny is now working with them. Lovelace suggests to Wacker that they go have a bounce at her place, and they take off. Back at her place, she offers to help Wacker get comfortable taking off his coat. He has her feel the blood pulsing in his temples as he goes off on another rant. Wacker asks Lovelace, You don't know who I really am, do you? And she responds, You're not Thomas Jefferson. And they begin to make out hard and collapse on the floor with Lovelace's feet up in the air. And we get our credits. Yeah. And that was Deep Throat Part 2. Yes. And our credits include some characters I don't remember and a gorilla that must be cut out. Oh, yeah, I guess maybe. I guess that's like that five minutes that's missing. I want to see the gorilla. <laughs> uh, Where's but anyway, my gorilla? Anyway, that was Deep Throat Part 2, so we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back to give our final thoughts as we dig deeper into Deep Throat Part 2. I do want to make a quick 
uh, celebrity connection. Yes. So there's a, a woman who works, I think, in maybe like the magazine office or something. Yes. Played by Judy Tenuta, a famous comedian. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, she was in a, a bunch of stuff, like popular, like, this is her first film role, but like popular in the 80s. Um, but then also was on things like uh, Dr. Katz and uh, Space Ghost. Okay. Along with other stuff. So she kind of had like a second wind in the 90s as a so weird lesbian comic side character. And uh, she started here. <laughs> All Excellent. started here. Yes. <laughs> well, at least we have uh, Deep Throat Part 2 to thank for that. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, we'll be back. Bye. <laughs> And uh, just for confirmation, it looks like now it's Howling Part Three is the is the marsupials. No. Yep. Every Howling Three, the marsupials, nineteen eighty seven. No, I could swear it's the fourth one. I'm gonna. I don't believe you. All right, let's let's look up the Howling franchise. The yes. Howling Four is the original nightmare. Okay. It's a British direct-to-video horror film. Because I know Howling 2 is uh, Your Sister's a Werewolf. Yeah. Um, That's a classic. Oh, there were novels. That's what I was looking at at first. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Howling 4 is the original Nightmare. Howling 5 is The Rebirth. Howling 6 is The Freaks. Howling 7 is New Moon Rising, which, if I recall correctly, includes just a ton of square dancing footage and stuff. (laughs) And, like, footage from previous Howling films and then, like, a little bit of new footage. That sounds cool as hell. And uh, I've heard it's wild. And then in 2011, there was The Howling Reborn. That is probably awful. That's stupid because The Howling 5 is the rebirth. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Well, good thing we're not talking about The Howling franchise. We were just concerned about The Howling coming from the basement, but... uh, like you said, I think it's just uh, Stephanie prepping for this week's Patreon episode. Yes, uh, this week we are uh, going to talk about a lot of howling yeah. on Patreon. Yeah, I would say, though the Raincoat Files have ended, they kind of spill over a little bit into this week's Patreon, at least for me. Uh, I think I saw one of Stephanie's videos that certainly belongs in the Raincoat Files. Uh, okay. I don't know that mine cool. do as much, but... We'll, we'll have a little bit of that. We'll keep a little it bit open. of I'm going to put my finger, um, just, I'm going like, to make a, I'm just going to like flag the file with my finger. Okay. Um, and while I do that, I'll think about and talk about. The Raincoat Review. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, like you said at the beginning, you made a reference or a comparison to Burn After Reading. Yes. And, uh. I think that's a pretty apt comparison for a film uh, about uh, people involved in espionage activities, perhaps by accident, Mm -hmm. and uh, the ensuing hijinks that go along with that, and uh, ultimately maybe none of it means anything. Right. I'd say the scope of this one is definitely like, obviously that film went out yet, but like the scope of this one's bigger. There is like a definite thing. Everyone's kind of try to get it. Right. But honestly, yeah, like, uh, not a lot happens around it. Well, things happen around it, but nothing centers on like actually like trying to sabotage or stop Oscar. Right. Or anything like that. That all happens off screen. Yeah. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, uh, I didn't know this was meant to be an R-rated film going in, so I wasn't, I didn't expect a, uh, not even quite a softcore film. Like, there's some nudity and stuff, but there's not, like, simulated sex or anything, really. 
which probably would have been hard to get an R rating on in the 70s. Yeah, I knew that it wasn't hardcore, but I assumed with it being a Joe Sarno film that it was at least like a proper softcore right. sex film and I, with sex scenes. Yeah, and I didn't expect <laughs> I didn't expect Linda Lovelace to really have a sex part. I know that the original Deep Throat really wasn't a great experience for her, so I, yeah, most of like her later stuff is just non-sex roles, which is fine. But I expected maybe like. I think for there to be like more stuff between uh, the patients and the, I don't know, whatever else was going on, but obviously none of that materializes. So instead we have a uh, kind of deranged sex comedy about uh, a supercomputer that's going to spy on all of us. Yeah. Uh, Just interesting that that's an idea. I guess that's maybe like an older idea. But it does kind of reflect on uh, basically what became like the PRISM program under uh, the second Bush presidency and Obama. Mm. It's like the huge like NSA like data collection spying program on pretty much all of us. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I guess that was a concern of people back then as well. Uh, this was also unfolding at the same time, like the investigations into a lot of like shadowy cia activity was going on as well and watergate so it uh it does have like i think an appropriate level of paranoia for the times even though that's kind of all undercut by the silly comedy uh it's an it's quite a and what silly comedy there is it really is very like 70s cocaine driven comedy yeah i think where it's like a lot of sight gags and just like one-liners that I think are supposed to be funny to us. But if we watched like Laugh-In, but we didn't grow up on that. Right. Um, so it kind of misses. It's also very long. It's like the length of a normal film, but it feels like it goes on forever in some ways. Uh, yeah. So uh, I texted you after I had like watched half of the movie. Yeah. And it took me like an hour and a half to take notes on like 40 minutes of the movie. And uh, I would definitely say my enjoyment of the film was greatly impacted by that. <laughs> yeah, you got to go back and watch it uh, normal style. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a lot that happens in this movie. And ultimately, even like taking the note taking part out of it, because it's not the way any of our listeners would experience it. Right. Uh, it still feels like it goes on too long. Yeah. And like there isn't enough payoff for that time investment. Yeah, uh, I do think it has the, I think it has the bones of what could be like an interesting, like actual, like, uh, sex thriller film. Yeah. But, uh, it just doesn't, he didn't quite go that way. I think they were trying to bank more on the original Deep Throat's comedic elements. Sure. And things like that and trying to, you know, kind of recapture lightning in a bottle. Um, I guess it didn't work that well. No, I don't think that the comedy is really the same type of comedy as the original Deep Throat either. I think that there's some of the comedy works for me. I think that, like, in broad strokes, like, the silliness of the whole thing is uh, fun in a way. But there's not enough substance to it. And, like, it's not like the minute-to-minute jokes are real knee slappers right and it kind of does rely on like just everyone revisiting the office over and over again to mm-hmm. kind of goof off with linda and harry and it's like we haven't seen harry reams in a while though so i'll say that's no. nice it's good yeah. seeing him in here uh it's nice to see jamie gillis back yeah uh, although he again. didn't I feel like this was, even though he has a role that has more to it than most of the roles in the film, it's still like, there's still nothing to it. Yeah, he's underutilized. Yeah. Um, So I would, I think at the end of the day, I'd give this one like a a two and a half. Yeah. There are some, like like I said, really interesting ideas in it and Mm -hmm. uh, some humor that works from time to time, but overall, like. For an R-rated sex comedy, I don't know. There's just so many better options you could go with. Yeah. Uh, and, like, the only, like, really interesting aspect of this one is kind of, like, the 
kind of conspiratorial uh, angle. Yeah, I'll say that I I respect the amount of craziness in this film, mm-hmm. in the sense that like there was certainly a level of creativity that went into just throwing all of this madness at the screen. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, but yeah, I agree with all of that. It's just at the end of the day, there's a million things that you could watch that are better. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether you're looking for something erotic, something funny, uh, this doesn't really excel in any of those areas. Yeah. I did find myself going a couple of times like this movie's insane. What is happening? Right. And that's, I do like having that feeling. But I could have it with a shorter movie. Yeah. Or a better one. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm also going to give it two and a half stars. I am, as somebody who's watched, you know, almost, well, including Patreon, probably over 200 movies for this podcast, I would say that I'm happy to have watched it just so I know what it was. And, you know, there's something interesting to it. But I wouldn't recommend that any of our listeners go out of their way to see it unless, you know, you just want to. Yeah, unless you already have it and yeah. haven't watched it yet. Let's go ahead and break it out of the box and uh, dust it off. Put it in your VCR. Yes. You know? Uh, so, yeah. In the meantime, join us. Uh, our patrons join us on uh, Friday as we uh, play a little game of roulette kink roulette this time oh uh, yes um follow us on instagram and twitter at raincoat report raincoat report at gmail.com mm-hmm. uh and in the meantime if you're going to uh be enrolled by the u.s government for a series of espionage related actions don't forget your raincoat that's a good point because spies usually wear like those nice long like london fog Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's just good spy craft. Yes. <laughs> uh, we'll see you next time. When she looks into the mirror, she sees herself and knows she's so. Cool.